On today's Daily Charge Supercharged Edition, what was WeWork's response when we called them out for lousy wireless security standards? What are your alternatives as a WeWorker? And comparing and contrasting Impossible Burgers with their veggie, vegan, and beyond brethren. Salt tastes good. That's why people like the Impossible Burger. But we'll, we'll come yeah, back. I mean, you can. Why don't you just put a bunch of salt and vegetables then? I do. <laughs> All of the above. It's like I, I, it's just annoying to me when people conflate like vegetarian or vegan with like healthy. Like I could eat Oreos all day. Well, I mean, like it's true. Um, like a, it's true that like a, a well balanced plant based diet yeah. is healthier than a, a diet that includes a lot of meat. So like baseline, but like yeah, there's a lot of vegans that I know, especially when I was in my like twenties that ate terrible. Yeah, so it's like I I think that if you don't want to eat meat out of like ethical reasons, sure, the Impossible Burger is a great thing to shift to, but I don't healthy? think that it's like a healthy alternative. To if you're going just, I think, yeah, and I think that's the point also. They're not pitching it really as a health, maybe yeah. they are pitching it as a health conscious sort of thing. And they're pitching it more as like a moral consciousness sort of thing. Yeah, um, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Me. I mean, we all eat like crap. I knew <laughs> some of my closest vegan friends only ever ate noodles in college. And How's I was just that like, like crap? You're going to die. Like, I don't <laughs> care how you look at it or however you spin it. But we'll come back full circle to Impossible Burger. Um, I want to know more about it. It's something I've wanted to try for a while. So we'll talk about that shortly. But first, let's focus on the WeWork story. Uh, that's clearly something that's going to be uh, affecting a lot of different people. And I'm curious how many of our listeners out there work at a WeWork office. Um, I know we know plenty of people in our own inner circles that are WeWorkers. But if it, you're out there and you whatever your job space is functions out of WeWork, let us know. Let us know what concerns you have if you had any action, interactions with the IT department at your office. Uh, we're just curious to see what the reach is. Uh, in the meantime, Timothy asks, instead of going to WeWork with the findings, why not go directly to their customers? That'll put some pressure to update their security. Oh, no, I did. I did do that. Oh, yeah. I reached not, out. You historically are not afraid to call people out on stuff like that. Yeah, I reached out to companies that work at WeWork and told them, hey, this is going on. Um, are you going to be changing your behavior or anything like that or like talking to WeWork about it? Most of them did not respond. Um, and I also know that the security expert who pointed this out to WeWork four years ago um, had also told uh, you know people that worked around him, like, hey, like the security here is pretty bad. And because they're startups, you know, a part of them is like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. They're not like security companies, you know? Yeah. So there's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, leave me alone. I'm trying to like start my company here and I'm under a yeah. lot of pressure. Uh, I, who are you, strange person? Um, and I <laughs> well, that was fair. Yes. Yeah. Who are you, strange person? <laughs> and I imagine that's kind of what people were thinking when they saw my email as well saying, hey, uh, this is really bad. Um, your documents are exposed here. And I just never got a response from them. Next question coming in says, each of these WeWork customers, do they have their own IT guys to take a look at it? Should their IT escalate the concerns to WeWork corporate? Um, the ones that do have IT folks that look at the Wi-Fi, um, like the researcher that I had spoken with, yeah, they did reach out to WeWork and the response was, yeah, eh, uh, it's not that much of an issue. Uh, turns out it very much so is. Um, but you ha also have to understand that like a lot of WeWorks are startups. They they're like when I was there, the team that I was speaking with was only like four people, um, which already costs a lot of money to be there. I think for one per if you want an office for one person at the WeWork in New York, 
it well like the one that i visited at least yeah. in the financial district it's 720 dollars just for like a desk and like a chair for a month yeah wow. um so for two people it's like about 1200 dollars. so it's like a lot of money to begin with so if you're working out of a WeWork office and you're just one or two people yeah you're not you don't got cash to spare yeah like i, I they don't have their own it people we work actually does offer um it support for about 125 dollars a day right uh, so that's the thing all these like things for security that should just come with the place considering how much you're paying for it um they like upcharge that so you know gotta get that money somehow well i do i mean one of the things that's happening with WeWork right now beyond just this wi-fi security element Mm -hmm. is the company wants to go public and they're having a hard time doing it there's a lot of um bad press coming about about things like this um about not necessarily bad press but just colorful press about their ceo and how he's unconventional and ways that public companies usually aren't. (laughs) Where have I heard this story before? It's almost like it's a pattern repeating of tech CEOs being weird and then uh, just helping the company tank. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of cringe moments going on for WeWork right now. Would you call this uh, security oversight or is it more a caveat of how WeWork is structured as a company? I know like on paper, it's a very attractive outside of maybe the dollars to certain people, but the way it functions, how you can operate out of this office this day, or you're traveling, so you just bop into another one there, and it's kind of a seamless transition that you're in and out of the network. All you need is a place to sit. All you need is a desk. Is that more what we're looking at here with the IT, or is this strictly that somebody really just dropped the ball? I don't think it's an oversight thing, because they clearly have the capability to provide that security measure for like the people in the building. Yeah. Like they can And they've been alerted of the problem. Yeah, and they are aware of it, but like the fact that their passwords are like they their passwords which I can't say is just as bad as using the word password for like your credentials. It's it's almost as bad as that. Yeah. Um and they have it as the same one for every single location. And that's also an, another like concern is that like companies always have like a fear of like insider threats, right? Like mm-hmm. um, they don't just let anyone come on the Wi-Fi. Like I can't just walk into like another office building and and just get on the Wi-Fi. But they're worried about insiders who are like leaking that information out. At WeWork, anyone can be an insider because I can pay for a desk for an hour for twenty five bucks, and I can come in and I can just scan like their Wi-Fi for the whole for like an hour and see what I get out of that. And then just leave, and it like as if I was working at all of these startups because they're all on the same network, and they don't have any kind of like security measures on their Wi-Fi network to prevent that. Um, so I don't think it's an oversight because they they sell these features, like they yeah. clearly are capable of doing it. Yeah, and also you know something I feel like you say often in security is that you can tell a lot about a company's dedication to security and a lot of things by what they have as their default. And Mm -hmm. their default speaks for itself here. Yeah, which is nothing. Which is nothing. And it's like (laughs) the default is even lower than like the average standard. Because like I think of hotels a lot where like they have like client isolation. I asked if this was something really hard to do. And a security researcher I mentioned, I, I talked to had mentioned like, this is pretty simple stuff. Like this is like a toggle. Like when you set up the Wi-Fi. Like, do I want to do client isolation? Like, yes. And they don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I really hope nobody ever figures out that our password is Chaley Darge one two three. Still better than WeWork's password. 
<laughs> Yan wants to know if WeWork's Wi-Fi issues are easily solvable. I feel like you've kind of covered this. Yeah, um, there's a lot of things that they can do that like are simple fixes. I mean, part of the challenge could be that, you know, they have so many buildings and they can't have like a security staff for each one of them. Yeah. But they absolutely should. I mean, they have physical security staff there as well. Yeah. Um, it, and it's like a very simple thing to do. Other things they could do is um, like set up a firewall to block out like rogue um, access points. Uh, there's another co-working space that's a lot more popular in the UK that I can't remember the name of right mm-hmm. now. But the there like you have to register every device that comes on the network and they have their own like password and login for that kind of thing right way more secure than what we work is doing where it's just eh, we're just gonna have a one wi-fi network for everybody yeah um another really simple thing they could do is change the password for each location that's not yeah that's not difficult at all like if you have set up your wi-fi network at home like you can do this for we (laughs) work yeah it is kind of astonishing how simple the solutions would be. That being said, as of your piece today, has WeWork changed anything yet? Um, they haven't gotten back to me about it, but I also know that the researcher that brought this to our attention told them four years ago, he told that he kept telling them every year uh, since then, nothing has changed. Um, I'm planning on like checking back in a week or so, like just going to the WeWork and seeing if the password still works. Yeah. Uh, so we'll figure it out. Shout out to Timothy for all your great contributions to this conversation. I have a feeling you have a bit of a background in IT and wireless uh, management. Um, Before we close the book on this conversation, uh, are there any alternatives out there for WeWorkers to using that office Wi-Fi? Um, Use a VPN. That's that's really the best advice I can give you. So your traffic will, you know, not be like as exposed on the network. The problem with that, though, for a lot of people is that VPNs have notoriously slowed down your traffic. Mm -hmm. And the company that I had spoken with there, they are a media company where they're constantly like live streaming videos or, or like music to radio stations and they can't afford that kind of slowdown. Yeah. And lastly, uh, does a 90-day grace period for these findings go into effect, similar to how Apple and Google bugs, and then after that 90-day grace period is up, is it open season for security hacks? How does that really work? Um, so the 90-day stuff is more of like a courtesy. I know what you're talking about. So you give them like 90 days to fix it before you go public with it. Uh, so for us, like they had known about it for four years, so well past that limit. Um, there's no like strict law or requirement like saying like you have to wait 90 days. Sometimes if the um, vulnerability is urgent enough, they'll just go out and like publish yeah. it saying like, please patch yourself right now. Um, that happened with Fortnite after Google had discovered a vulnerability um, with the way its installer was working on the website. And the thing is, they could have given them 90 days to fix it. But that is a lot of people downloading Fortnite in that time. So yeah. Um, this was like peak Fortnite season too. So Google <laughs> just straight up went public. It was like, hey, do not download Fortnite off of this website. Like this is a warning to everybody. Uh, the folks at Fortnite, I think it's like Epic Games or something. No, it's not Epic. Or is it? I can't remember. Yeah, they I got think really it is Epic Games. Actually. Yeah, they got really mad about it where they were just like, we were going to fix this. What the hell? But the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people would have been affected yeah. uh, during that time if they had not gone public with it. Yeah. And, and the, like uh, the wrinkle of that is because Fortnite specifically decided not to go to the Android yeah, they app thought, store. They thought that's why they went public with it. I mean, yeah. which it easily could be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in other cases, it takes a really long time. Like a few weeks ago with the iOS um, vulnerabilities that had been going on um, back in February. 
uh, Apple fixed that uh, in like seven days, but we didn't know about it until like the end of August. Um, yeah. So like sometimes like the 90 day stuff is really like arbitrary. It's very much more of just like a guideline kind of thing. I don't know. Like there's no rule to it, but like most people would like try to give 90 days for that kind of thing after disclosure. If anybody wants to learn more about the Samsung Galaxy Fold, we do have links to Jessica's first observations and a video review uh, in the show notes, so feel free to pass along to that. In the meantime, we are going to switch gears over to the Impossible Burger. Uh, Joan, what has been the response? Now, I've been eager to try one out of just sheer curiosity. It looks good. I hear great things from my friends, word of mouth. A lot of reviews are raving. A lot of them are just kind of, meh. I haven't heard a lot of terribly negative reviews. What has been the overall audience consensus, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, or not, to the Impossible Burger? I think generally the response to the most recent new burger has been that um, it's the most like actual meat that a fake meat has ever really tasted before. And I think most people, whether or not you like the taste or you like the health aspects or you dislike the health aspects or you, whatever your take on all the context around the Impossible Burger, I think most people agree that it's the thing that tastes most like real meat that isn't actually meat that's come along yet. And you say taste, but we should also probably clarify that there's something to be said about texture too, right? Yeah. I mean, like I haven't, I'm a vegetarian, so I haven't had meat in a really long time, but when I have eaten it, I've eaten it a few times and every time I'm like, this tastes like a burger, at least the burgers I remember from decades ago. Have you had it? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. I kind of want one, but <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, the Burger King air just like smacked <laughs> me. So like, I'm good. I'm, I'll just try this another I actually time. just had one this weekend. Um, what y'all doing for lunch today? Yeah, maybe we can go out for lunch. Uh, I cooked my food. But <laughs> it's if all you want to bring me a burger, all vegetables. <laughs> most of it is. <laughs> it's all plant-based, so I guess that means vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've really wanted to try one, but I haven't gotten out to any of the fast food joints serve them. I would rather try to prepare it at home. Uh, Actually, so one thing I wanted to bring. So I did, I pulled up nutrition information because we were talking about that. So that might, I don't know if that's a question that people want to know, but since we are out, we're talking about it here. So we talked about sodium. There's definitely more sodium in an Impossible Burger than there is in ground beef. That's mostly because there's you add sodium to ground beef to mm -hmm. make it salty. It doesn't come with it packed in. So like um, four ounces of the Impossible Burger has 370 milligrams of sodium. That's like 16% of your daily value by whatever, you know, what the USDA says your daily value should be. So 16% versus regular ground beef for four ounces, it's 75 milligrams, that's 3%. So it's 16%. more. 16%? It's more, but... Um, like the saturated fat is about the same. I mean, for ground beef and for this, like mm -hmm. saturated fat is like 43% for ground beef for this, it's 40%. Um, so yeah, it's saltier than ground beef. Um, and if you put any salt in your ground beef, then that makes it saltier. I'm uh, I'm waiting for the day that like all these like fake meats end up like vapes where they're like, oh, these are actually dangerous for us. We got to ban them all immediately. And then all those um, like impossible burger shops are like, oh, well, our business is ruined. Yeah. Ah, we'll see if that happens. The things that's like, this is, there's less going on in this. That's like weird and like untested than mm -hmm. like genetic, like where you're making like meat in a, like cultured meat where you take like the DNA from a feather and you create mm -hmm. chicken. Like that's a little bit more untested. Like this stuff, yeah. it's like, it's pea protein mm -hmm. with some other, like, with like other, the vegetable, right? <laughs> That would be one okay. of those vegetables that you've been talking, you've been raving about. Okay. Yeah. So like it is stuff that's existed in nature um, and continues to exist in nature. But I guess feathers exist in nature. This is also true. 
<laughs> we always compare it to traditional beef, but let's go ahead and put the two alternatives, uh, pit them side by side between the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger. How do they stack up health-wise, and can you differentiate uh, what the what the makeup of either one is and why a certain audience would drift towards one or the other? Um, I don't know the tradition, the nutrition side by side. I'm looking it up actually right now. Um, I can talk to the taste though. I've tried both the Beyond Burger and the new Impossible Burger. Um, and the new Impossible Burger is better. It tastes better. The Beyond Burger is fine. It tastes good for somebody that doesn't eat meat. Mm-hmm. Um, it tastes like fine. I'm used to not, I'm used to like veggie burgers. Being yeah, I was gonna say like, how like does it me. compare to like actual veggie burgers, like a black bean burger or like a mushroom burger? I mean, like the, a mushroom burger always tastes tastes like mushrooms, and a black bean burger always tastes like black beans. You know, like yeah, you know, like they taste like, like what they are. Yeah. If, if the three of them were on a menu, like which one would you order? If it was like like a veggie patty, like if it was a black bean burger, Impossible Burger, or a Beyond Burger. Oh no, or like a, a mushroom burger or something. Wait, what's the question? Like, if all I'm really three, hungry already, if all so. three were offered, like, which one would you like? Which are the three? Yeah. Which are the three? Yeah. Which? which oh, of them? sorry. Uh, the <laughs> Impossible Burger, the uh, Black Bean Burger, and like a Mushroom Burger. Oh, um, I'll probably have an Impossible Burger just because oh. I can make my own Black Bean. Burgers. This is true. Like, you know, and Mushroom Burgers, and I have in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like, I think the for me the calculus is just kind of like what I'm in the mood for. Like, none of those three would I disqualify by virtue of anything. Uh, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just kind of like what I'm feeling that day. Um, isn't the Beyond based on beets? Isn't that what their big gimmick was that it, that it bleeds, but it's kind of like beet yeah. protein or something? Or yeah, they use. Um, it's not based on beets, but it uses um, beet juice as a way to have that sort of like ruddy red looking color to it. So um, I actually tried looking up a recipe for the Beyond Burger one time because I was really curious back. Uh, this is probably a year plus ago. I uh, tried to make it at home, but failed with flying Oh, yeah, I colors. remember that. I, I remember the photo you showed us. Yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was my failure, not any failure of the food stuff itself. Also, I, I feel like if you can't eat a, like, fake meat burger unless it has blood, I'm like, you're weird, dude. That's, like, a weird, like, like selling point for you. I don't, what the hell, man? Just eat a normal burger. <laughs> I think veggie burgers are delicious too. I love a good black bean burger. Oh once no, in a while. I don't. I'm not. I just thought it'd be fun to try, and I was bored as hell. It was. I don't remember when it was, but I had nothing else to do for a weekend, so I spent four hours wasting <laughs> ingredients in the kitchen. But this and, isn't. Yeah. This isn't like a, anything about the taste. I think it's just like I'm imagining somebody shopping for like veggie burgers and seeing like, well, this one has blood on it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna eat this. I'm like, that's a weird like selling point. I don't. I don't understand why somebody would do that. It is, and it sounds a little morbid on paper, but I think it's more about again going back to that texture and like a juiciness that you don't get with a traditional veggie burger that tend to be a little bit. I don't use dry, but because that has a bit of a negative connotation, but crunchier, crispier, a little more crumbly, as opposed to something that's you know fleshy i don't there's no nice way to describe this situation so we're just gonna have to live with it we are almost out of time though so let's uh address a couple of things uh any update on the flavors available by impossible food um i think right now they just have beef they're working on other sorts of doritos um, (laughs) (laughs) mountain dew good night everybody (laughs) they're working on other kinds of meat but i think that they're really it's just beef it's just a beef game for them at this point and for those out there interested is the impossible burger kosher I believe it is because of the virtue, because uh, I'm not an expert on kosher, but I believe that in terms of meat, kosher requires like uh, certain slaughter techniques and that sort of thing. So I believe because it's plant-based protein and there's no slaughtering involved, um, I believe it, it like just kind of circumvents 
all the rules of kosherness, so it's kind of like kosher by default, but I'm not positive. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything. Not about. sure. Sally over here, co-producer of the show, she's backing it up. She says it is kosher. Okay, there you okay. go. So just to clarify. <laughs> good question, though, and uh, great questions all around to everybody here today. Uh, reminder, this is our... Thursday is our Friday, so we're done for the week. Also, news, we are going to be taking next week off. We have a lot of scheduling conflicts. It's going to be busy. We got bodies out uh, of the office and out of the studio, namely me, so go ahead and blame me, but we are taking all of next week off, so we're not doing the audio show, we're not doing the video stream, we'll try to stay active on Twitter as much as we can, but we will be coming back the Monday following in early October, so uh, apologies for inconveniencing anybody who is really desperate to hear our voices every single day, Uh, we'll miss you too, but anyways, have a wonderful weekend, have a wonderful next week, we'll see you a week from Monday, and thanks for joining us, Joan. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for all your questions, if you enjoy the show, go ahead and like, comment, subscribe. We are live every weekday morning here on YouTube, Periscope, and CNET.com. Also, you can subscribe to our audio podcast as well as a new and improved Supercharge extended podcast. It's They're both on pretty much every podcast platform that's out there. Links to all of these are in the description below for The Daily Charge. I'm Joni Salzman. I'm Alfred Ang. Thanks for joining us. 